Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The snow is all turned very icy this week, Laura, so I imagine that what happens is all those people put skis on on the hill, they get ready to go, and you know what happens next, right? <laughs> well, it's not prostitution. Prostitution. Oh, oh. <laughs> We're going to continue oh. to have some fun with the mayor of Hudson <laughs> and his wacky statements about ice fishing causing prostitution. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer for a Friday. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Atassi, and Laura Johnston, and we got some stuff to talk about, and I am sure you're all glad it's Friday. Absolutely. Amen. Okay, well, let's get through it. Laura, wild card question that I didn't tell you was coming. <laughs> what is the reconciliation of one of the big shareholder lawsuits against First Energy Corporation that broke late last night? This was such a head scratcher when it came over because I was reading like pieces of a news release and it was like First Energy is getting $180 million. And you're like, what? Wait, how is the company making out under this? But that's really the case in this particular derivative lawsuit. And that means that the shareholders were suing the top officials of the company on behalf of the company. So they get $180 million from the top leaders paid out by insurance that is now going to First Energy. And so obviously this is different than a class action lawsuit where the people filing the cases are seeking benefits for themselves. But right, this is just another and one that you're like, how did this happen? No, but this does make sense. This is, you know, you often, if you have people in public bodies, they have to be bonded because if they squander tax dollars through criminality, there's an insurance company that makes the taxpayers whole. And because the people at the top of First Energy were doing such dastardly deeds, they cost the company a lot of money. And they're insured for that. So the shareholders go in and they sue to get the value of that back. And the insurance company makes good. That's what you pay insurance for. The more the more important part of this, I thought, was the agreement that a third of the board is going to be gone yeah. and they are going to take much more oversight by the board over bribery. <laughs> right. So Basically, six members, it's about a third of the board, have to step down and not seek re-election. And another person, Michael Anderson, who has been a member of the board since 07, is going to step down during this shareholders meeting this year. And the settlement calls for this company to adopt these reforms involving political spending and lobbying. The board will oversee those areas and the company will provide greater disclosures of its political activities to shareholders, which apparently shareholders have been asking for for years. When I first read this line, I was like, sure. But apparently there were shareholder proposals requiring such disclosures in 2015, 2016 and 2017. And the board voted that down, which 
So, you, I mean, you do have to feel bad for these folks that are the shareholders in a company that were saying, we want more transparency. And meanwhile, First Energy is saying no, and they're doing, you know, they're bribing yeah. people to, to make more money. There were investors across the country that did not trust the value of First Energy because they all suspected they were shady. And they were right. They were the shadiest utility we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And it was because they had no oversight and because they owned the legislature and the executive branch. They got whatever they wanted. It's not surprising that there were shareholders saying we want accountability, but this was a company that was profiting by doing bad things, by by paying bribes to steer public policy. The other thing is there's a separate real shareholder lawsuit where people who lost money in their investments because of the drop after the scandal came out want to get reimbursed. That's mm -hmm. continuing, right? That's that's totally separate. And you got to think that's going to be a settlement of way more than 180 million, because also yesterday in sort of in relation, we found out how much money First Energy made in 21 and they are still making boatloads. They reported one point three billion dollars in earnings for 2021. This was up from one point one billion in 2020 and revenue was at eleven point one billion in, in 2021. So this is a. Uh, pretty astounding. Their fourth quarter income was $427 million alone. They said both residential, commercial, and industrial companies saw single-digit upticks in electricity usage, so that helped First Energy make more money. All right. We'll have to see how that lawsuit comes out. This was a, a big deal, but the accountability is the big part. If the company True. can no longer do sleazy bribes without being caught up by the board, then maybe it'll limit it some. Yeah. But, who knows the, the oversight's going to become from the shareholders themselves, not necessarily the legislature. Well, somebody should do it. It's certainly not going to be the Public Utilities Commission. No. We'll be talking about that shortly. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is the stunning new price estimate for a new or renovated Cuyahoga County courthouse, which is not to be confused, Layla, with the half billion dollar county jail project? Mm -hmm. It's funny. Before the podcast, we were just discussing the ballooning costs of my own home renovation project. And <laughs> yeah, so, we might do a special episode on that because it's fun. <laughs> so I'm really relieved to not be on the committee dealing with this news about the Justice Center. Uh, the, the Cuyahoga County Justice Center Steering Committee, which is, as you said, simultaneously overseeing plans to build a detached county jail, they still haven't decided whether to construct a new courthouse or rehab the one that exists. But depending on the answers to that question and many others, and depending on, on what amenities they want at this facility, the project could end up costing upwards of a billion dollars with a B. DLR Group, which is leading the project design, walked the committee through some options yesterday. Caitlin Durbin reports that the Dream Justice Center with all the bells and whistles would feature 91 individual courtrooms, jury rooms, and hearing spaces with wheelchair accessibility for every city and county judge and magistrate, adding another 246,000 square feet of usable space. It also would house the prosecutor's office, probation, sheriff administration, and archives. That could cost $430 million at face value. That's the kind of the raw construction cost. But after you factor in a bunch of other necessary expenses over the three to four years that it would take to complete it, that would include escalation costs and displacing the current operations at the Justice Center, it could top out at $1.2 billion. 
Building a new facility would cost about $818 million, but that doesn't include the land purchase. So it would probably end up costing about the same as the renovation option. So that means the costs are double what the committee received in a 2013 estimate. And to be quite frank, I mean, that was almost a decade ago. So it's decision time here. This committee has has really sat on this for a long time. The cost is only going to keep rising. They have to figure out how much they're willing to spend and, and whether the city is going to kick anything in, too. Well, we also should get back to the discussion that we started at the end of last year. Do we have too many judges? Because if you have fewer judges, you need fewer courtrooms. Right. That's why that's an, a, an important discussion to have. The The thing that boggled my mind about this is it was sometime last year when the jail was coming up. And we were saying that the jail justice center is a billion dollar project. And county officials go, oh, no, no. <laughs> I thought they were saying no because it would be less than that. I had no idea they were saying, no, it'll be $1.5 billion easy. I think there's they thought no it would way. be less. I don't think that. I don't think that no, they... there's that. Look, this is preposterous wasting of taxpayers' money. And it just where does the realist come in? This needs to be a major part of the uh, race for county executive. It's true. I I know Lee Weingart will come out oh, and yeah. say not a chance. This right. is a ridiculous spend. I don't know where Chris Ronane is on it, but you know if Lee Weingart really champions, I'm going to save you a billion dollars. I don't know. Maybe a Republican can make inroads in Cuyahoga County on a pocketbook issue. Mm -hmm. This is just, you know, we talked earlier in the week. They want to squander $46 million on the MedMart, which is just flushing money down the toilet. They want, they're racing to spend a half billion dollars on the jail without knowing what size jail they need because they're, they're, they're basing it on the population now, which is artificially high because of the pandemic and the lack of trials. And they don't know the effect of a diversion center. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the people running the county right now are completely out of control with the tax dollars. <laughs> right. It's like, mm -hmm. this is not water. Right. It's not, you know, coming out of Lake Erie. So on, on what the, a shock. Kaylin reported that on this particular project, they could shave off some of this bill if they reduce the size of the courtrooms and the offices. And if the judges, you know, double up, uh, that would shave off about $82 million. They could remove the plans for the cafeteria and other perks. They, that would cut another $47 million. They could move some of the other offices off site, like probation and the prosecutor and court administrator. That would cut off $166 million. And nobody likes those ideas. <laughs> well, they don't want to do it. They, the judges are like, heck though. no, we're not going to be roommates. And, right. and you know, the prosecutor doesn't want to be like in some off-site building. You know, that's inconvenient. So... But but that is such ridiculous abuse of the taxpayer. Look, what will happen? Somebody will put it on the ballot. Somebody will, will, will be so outraged by the squandering of tax dollars that they'll put it on the ballot to stop it. Lee Weingart won't do it. I mean, it's just if they move forward with such a ridiculous spending plan, they will be held accountable. That's just a ridiculous amount of money. Hey, we need some of that money to build a new football stadium. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, it's today, our priorities, right? Come on. Yeah, it's today in Ohio. Can police arrest someone merely because they use profanities directed at the police? Lisa, we're talking about some pretty over-the-top profanities, but what's the answer? Well, not according to a federal appeals court, but let's set the table here. We're going to go back to 2016. Michael Wood was arrested for disorderly conduct at the Clark County Fair. He wore a shirt that said, F the police, 
and a lot of people complained. So he was asked to leave by the fair director, Dean Blair. Um, he started yelling, Wood started yelling profanities at the sheriff's deputies that were escorting him off the property. And I, I, we can't say them because this is a family podcast, haha. But um, yeah, just cursing them, you know, you, you know, I have my rights under the Constitution. You guys suck, whatever. That's the nice part of it. But anyway, so when he did that, the sheriff's deputies arrested him. So Wood sued them in 2018, claiming that he had speech protections under the First Amendment. And this was a federal suit. It was filed in the U.S. District Court of Southern Ohio. Judge Thomas Rose ruled in favor of the deputies in 2018 and dismissed the case. But then the sixth U.S. Court of Appeals took it up and said that Wood was arrested without probable cause. He's got some people backing him, including the ACLU of Ohio. David Carey says criticizing the police is very important for free speech. The appellate judges agreed. In their uh, 19-page opinion, they said the court has routinely perfected profanity, protected profanity when unaccompanied by other disorderly actions like violence. Deputies, on the other hand, say that the profanity constituted a threat to them and that they can file charges if the language is perceived to be likely to provoke an attack. And their attorney, Andrew Yasowitz, says them were fighting words. So, <laughs> so yeah. They're fighting words for the police. I mean, the police might start the fight, but I can't believe we're debating this in 2022. This is all established law. You do have the right to, to say mean things to the police. This goes back to the 60s for crying out loud. I can't believe that there's law enforcement still trying to make arrests for people that say those kinds of things. It's it's preposterous. That's what free speech is about. They weren't exhorting violence. They, were, they weren't doing what Donald Trump did, which was to spark an insurrection in Washington, D.C. and the violent attempted overthrow of our country. They're, they're just speaking their minds, and you're allowed to do that. I'm glad the courts prevailed. It's a scary thought that they might not. And so I imagine they'll appeal this. And with the current Supreme Court, man, that could be in danger. But we'll have to see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How far did all the how far did the all important number of covid cases per 100,000 people fall in Ohio in the most recent week? And Laura, this is really a discussion about is the pandemic over? Are we in the endemic phase? I mean, I am not going to be the one that declares this pandemic over. I feel like that's like a horror movie and I'm just asking to get grabbed. <laughs> but it is basically half of what it was. And this makes me really happy. Cuyahoga County is the lowest in the state. Obviously, we're the first one to spike at one time. I think the New York Times was reporting we were like the third worst county in the entire country. And we we're like, what is going on here? We just we just saw it earlier. So the Ohio Department of Health reported Thursday the state is averaging 481 COVID cases per 100,000 residents. That's down from 949 and a half cases last week. Cuyahoga County is at 157 cases per 100,000. And get this, in Southern Ohio, Lawrence County has more than, what, like 10 times that at 1,861 cases per 100,000. So I'm feeling much better about the pandemic here. And uh, although this is still considered um, high spread, think about when last summer when Mike DeWine wanted us to get down to 50 cases per 100,000. Yeah. He did briefly. But we, but we are and we're headed there. Look, even mm -hmm. even Fauci, Dr. Fauci has come out this week and said we're coming out of it. The numbers across the country 
are plummeting really fast. The the Omicron variant flashed, but it has flamed out. And so when you add up the number of people that are vaccinated and the many people now who've had it, it's a harder thing to spread. And, you know, very soon, very soon, we hope, we'll be heading into warm weather and that causes it to go into abeyance anyway. I think I said in December, by the second week of February, we'd be coming out of it. I was right. <laughs> well, I, I definitely hope you're right. And I hope I stay COVID free so I can travel to Canada in a week. I hope you can too, if you can get past all right the big trucks. Oh my gosh. I, I know, Leah. Yeah, that's a whole different story for a different yeah. podcast. You actually discussion. wrote the Canadian in America perspective on what's going on. Check it out on Cleveland.com. You are listening to Today in Ohio. We talked yesterday about two people. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb wants to appoint to the board of the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority. Is one of former Cleveland Mayor Jackson's top lieutenants blocking one of those moves? Layla, this is palace intrigue in City Hall. <laughs> well, that's a good way to describe it. Yes. So Viv had announced earlier this week that one of the people he'd like to appoint to the board is Lauren Welch, a regular transit user who, who works for the Say Yes to Education Cleveland uh, scholarship program. The controversy here is that the seat he'd like to give her is currently occupied by longtime RTA board trustee Valerie McCall, who was former Mayor Frank Jackson's appointee to the board and his longtime aide. McCall hasn't resigned from that seat and still has a year to go in her term. So the question is whether Bibb can legally remove her. Courtney Astolfi reports that the Ohio Revised Code allows him to oust a trustee for misfeasance, nonfeasance, or malfeasance, all the feasances, but Bibb hasn't cited a reason at all for removing her. He's only said that he has the right to do it. McCall, and, yeah, go ahead. And he doesn't. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, this, you know, I've been saying, Delayla, for like a month mm. that I can't understand why Justin Bibb hasn't brought in one veteran city hall type to just whisper in his ear, no, 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 can't do that. Be careful there. This this is why he's got all these young guys. They're all energy. All these people he's brought in really dynamic, you know, really diverse. And they're you can feel the energy coming out of City Hall. But there are potholes in this in this road. And you need somebody that's aware of that mm -hmm. map. And I think somebody would have said to him, hey, man, her term doesn't end for a year. You don't just get to summarily replace them. You know, it's I think she stays. And the other thing is. If he didn't do the research and he doesn't have the grounds, this is such a sign of disrespect to her. I mean, I know that Valerie McCall can be controversial, but she served the city for a long time. She was one of Jackson's top lieutenants. And this seems like it's a bit unfair, which is what Blaine Griffin's position That's seems right. to be, right? Yeah, Blaine Griffin, the president of council who worked with McCall in Jackson's administration for a lot of years, told Courtney that, that McCall believes she has the right to serve out the rest of her term. And, uh, you know, it's unclear at this point whether this is going to end up with a legal challenge or end quietly with either McCall's resignation or Bibb holding off on making the new appointment. But at the moment, it's a little bit of a standoff, to use Blaine Griffin's words. And, and also, city council has to approve any of appointments that Bibb makes to RTA. So, so council is doing its own legal research on this issue. Uh, so, well, you know. it certainly was premature to announce you're filling the position when you have not resolved that it's vacant, a misstep right. by the That's new true. mayor in his second month on the job. It's today in Ohio.
How much money is Ohio getting from the federal government to build charging stations for electric cars? Lisa, it takes forever to charge an electric car. It's such a weird thing to think you're going to have a station, you're going to pull up, and you're going to sit for a couple hours to your car to charge. And I can imagine people fighting over the right to be up against them. How many are we going to get? Well, um, all told... Well, let's let's start with the money. Ohio's getting $140 million over five years to build a network of electric vehicle charging stations throughout the state. This money comes from a pot of $5 billion from the Federal Transportation Department. Their goal is to place a half million charging ports nationwide to help eliminate what they call range anxiety, which range anxiety, which keeps people from buying electric vehicles. They're afraid that they'll run out of juice before they find a charging station. So they hope the infrastructure will help allay those fears. In the first year, Ohio will get 20.7 million of that 140 million that they're promised, but the states must have an infrastructure deployment plan to get this money. And then there will be a second grant available later this year that will provide uh, you know, money for rural and underserved communities, putting charging ports there. Marcy Capture of Toledo says this is a will support good paying jobs for building and maintaining these charging ports. The Biden administration is saying that these will be built with American parts by union workers. So yeah, if we want to make the shift to electric vehicles, we have to have that infrastructure in place. Okay. I still don't get it. I just don't get it. If you're going on a long-term trip, every 300 miles, you got to stop for a few hours to charge your car. I could see this becoming a big retail thing. Like I'll, I'll put up a charging station. You can charge your car free. And then I have a bunch of stuff for you to buy while you wait around for two hours for your car to charge. I, I just don't get this. This is, this is not ready. It doesn't feel like for for prime time. Well, you know, disagree with me, Laura. You're the big, well, they're oh, they're improving they're improving battery life. I think it's now up to 400 miles, and that's what they're working on is battery life. So I think you know, once that happens, you know, we have to have the infrastructure in place to meet that innovation as well. I, I get your point. I mean, I have a friend who drives to New York, you know, regularly, and she there one of the charging ports she stops at is at a McDonald's. So. Yeah, that just doesn't work for me. Go ahead, To me, this would be your second car, right? Like you're environmentally conscious. If you're a family that has two adults and you have two cars, then you could have one electric vehicle so that you could run around town with it, right? But no, I couldn't see driving this for spring break down to Hilton Head. Like that just sounds terrible. But it goes even beyond that, right? Because everything in the car is draining the battery. So if the air conditioning is on, if you have the kids charging their tablet in the back so you can keep them busy watching Bluey, all that stuff is draining your battery. So when you're watching the battery and you realize that, oh, I'm getting close to the end, do you just open the windows and turn off the air conditioner and turn <laughs> Everybody, off Everybody, turn off your electronics. Yeah, I mean, it just, I, I just, this one, I trip over every time I think about it. What, you know, how does it work for a long trip? I get it. Driving around town, great. But the minute you want to go, go 300 miles you're like building in some major league downtime we'll see it's today in ohio how are things going with rita and the cleveland tax agency when it comes to people seeking refunds on taxes paid to the municipalities where they were not reporting to work while they worked from home i laura i believe there's going to be a rush of this coming has it started yet no, they haven't seen this flood yet. At least that's what both Rita and CCA are telling Sean McDonald. 
I guess maybe people are hoping the process becomes less confusing um, if they they wait it out a little bit, or maybe everyone's procrastinating. I we we no longer do our own taxes, so I wrote an email to our accountant hoping she can figure it out. But the um, Rita, which is the Ohio Regional Income Tax Agency, handles about 350 communities, but not Cleveland. And then CCA, the Central Collection Agency, handles Cleveland and a couple dozen. They actually did talk to Sean, which is an improvement over, I think, <laughs> last time we did this story. But uh, they haven't noticed any uptick yet. I, I got to think that people are, are just dreading filling out these forms because they are not simple. Well, I looked at the Cleveland form, and the the caveat on that is, you have to attach the tax form to the municipality where you paid your taxes. So for me, I live in a, in a community where I have to pay a bunch of money because I, on my own, because I don't, I don't have it deducted for here. Um, and there was a, a, there's a partial match because very small because of what I pay to Cleveland. Mm -hmm. So I have to do a tax return for my city showing I paid a hundred percent of my taxes due to them before I can file to get it from Cleveland. And I don't know that they're making that very clear. And I think that's going to end up tripping up a lot of people who are trying to get their money back from Cleveland. I, I literally, I dread this. I don't know how, how, uh, how I nice this is going to be, or, or I mean, is the deadline April 15th, just like federal income taxes? I mean, you're doing it for a refund. So do you have to get it in by that date? I don't know. I, I do. I do wonder if we should, figure out like some simple step-by-step -step that would help people deal with it because I think this is going to torment a lot of people and we're talking about real money in a lot of cases so they're going to want to get it back yeah and I don't think the cities are going to help us on it no Cleveland certainly not they want to keep the money although I don't know Justin Bibb keeps making allowances for the fact he knows they're going to lose some money so maybe he's come to terms with it you're listening to today in Ohio are Ohio healthcare facilities ignoring health claims more often with women, particularly black women, than they are with men? Layla, this is the result of a statewide survey. Yeah, Julie Washington reports on this new survey on bias in healthcare, commissioned by a group of four Ohio health equity nonprofits. It found that nearly 60% of black women and 52% of white women reported that their symptoms had been dismissed by their healthcare providers, and that's compared to 41% of black males and 20% of white males. So pretty big disparity. Many of the respondents said that they skipped their follow-up appointments with their doctors because they, they perceived that they were being treated unfairly. And this survey was shared through newsletters, email, and social media with whoever was interested in taking it. And, and they also uh, approached people at community festivals in Toledo. Uh, the national studies really reinforce the findings of this Ohio survey. Black patients reported being discriminated against or unfairly judged by healthcare providers almost three times more often than white patients and twice as often as Hispanic patients, according to a 2021 analysis by the Robert, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Uh, these were you know, th these most recent statewide findings were presented to representatives from our local healthcare systems, and they said that they're trying to do better with diversity, equity, and inclusion training, and, and they're taking steps to diversify their workforce. They, they agreed to keep meeting with the health equity group. But really, I mean, the bottom line here is that perception is reality. 
If a patient feels that their healthcare provider is discriminatory or dismissive of their concerns, they're they're not going to go back to that provider for follow-up treatment or engage with the healthcare system at all. And that's a terrible outcome. I mean, cultural competence, competency training and everyday bias workshops are important, but it can't just be a matter of checking the box to appear to the public that the hospital system is addressing this problem. It has to be an ongoing conversation within the systems and and top of mind among their workforce. Well, it surprises me that that it's still so lopsided because university hospitals in working on the problem, the severe problem in Cuyahoga County with infant mortality right. has done a lot of work on implicit bias among its staff and recognized that, that that is a real thing that could be affecting the infant mortality disparity we have. And, and so if they rec- and we've been talking about that now for what, four or five years. So if they recognize that and say they're dedicated to correcting it, you kind of hope to see that needle start to move back to mm-hmm, center and mm-hmm. you're not. It's bad. Right. You're right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. OK, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, you get to wrap up the news week. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is the guy who appointed Sam Randazzo to be the public utilities chief and then saw Randazzo resign in disgrace amid evidence he took bribes because he was an industry insider to the nth degree. So did DeWine go in another direction with his his brand new appointment to the commission and name someone to represent us, the consumers. Well, it's more of the same old, same old. <laughs> uh, DeWine reappointed incumbent Daniel Conway to a new five-year term yesterday. Um, he's a GOP utilities attorney. He was appointed in 2017 to PUCO by then-Governor John Kasich. This all must be okay by the Ohio Senate, but I don't see this you know, hitting any snags. Uh, the Office of Ohio Consumers Council asked DeWine to reject all four of the job finalists, including Conway, because they all had connections to the utilities industry. Conway had a personal investment in an owner of nu- nuclear plants that were mentioned in the HB6 bailout. He got some dividends from a mutual fund connected to that of about $1,000. But DeWine spokesman Dan Tierney says he believes Conway, Conway is fair and independent-minded, and his track record shows that he will look at all sides of the issue. We c- will say that Conway did cast the lone dissenting vote in 2020 on a first energy rate case that they wanted to waive review of the 2024 energy rate. So he did vote against that. So he did go against the tide at least once that we know of. Yeah, I the thing that's so disappointing about this, one, DeWine had said his next appointment would be somebody that's consumer related. And he, he weaseled out of that yesterday by saying, well, I meant a new vacancy. And this is a this is an incumbent that wanted to stay. But but there's also the, the just the general impression you give to the state. This is the biggest scandal to ever rock state government. This is $60 million in bribes seeking to get billions of dollars that they didn't have coming. Every month we get a new revelation. We talked about one earlier in this podcast. So here's a chance if you're Mike DeWine to say, right, I'm as fed up as everybody else. I'm going to put some people on that really look out for the consumer. And he did not. And, you know, I keep saying this every time we talk about it. There is a Democratic candidate Mm -hmm. who is making a chief part of his plank. John Cranley, the Cincinnati mayor. I'm going to blow this thing up and start over, which is what's needed. 
the PUCO has not done its job. They're in the pocket of the utilities. They were in the pocket of First Energy, so much so that Chuck Jones was joking about it. Does he work for them or does he work for us? I mean, when when the CEO of one of the biggest utilities in the state is joking about how in the pocket of his that the PUCO is, we got a problem. And Mike DeWine did not fix it. Yeah, it's like I said, it's just kind of the status quo all over again. But like you said, he's given fodder to his, you know, opponents in the gubernatorial race. So we'll see how this plays out in the campaign. Well, when you give fodder to your opponents in the gubernatorial race, you know what happens next. (laughs) Prostitution. Prostitution. (laughs) Oh, man. That's going to be a meme forever. We're going to bring that up every chance we get. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that's it for a week of news. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back on Monday. 